Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Well, I tried to get my son Evan to come up here because I told him I was going to start the sermon off with a little story about him that sort of frames where we're going today, but he said he wasn't going to do it, so he's back there. You can look at him. <laughs> so basically, a couple weeks ago, Evan, as he likes to do, was playing basketball um, out in the driveway, and there was a car parked kind of close to the hoop. You probably know where this is going. I'm upstairs with the other kids, uh, we're just goofing around, and um, I hear the door shut, and then I hear him coming up the stairs like, and I'm like, oh boy. He comes in, he's, he's got what looked like a tear in his eye, he was kind of sad, he's like, dad, I'm so disappointed in myself, I was shooting the, ba- the, hoop. I was shooting the basketball, and it just took a huge, huge, just bounce off the rim and bonked and broke your windshield. And I was like, you know, I could tell he was disappointed in himself. He was sincere. He was heartfelt. And he was contrite. And I was like, oh, bud, don't worry about it, man. I got your back. We'll we'll fix it. Um, I love you. And the window's broke, and it needs to be fixed. I, I got that. And that's sort of the framework that the Bible has as our God who loves us and he wants us to come to him in confession when we do things that aren't right, when we do things that are off and he's waiting for us to be honest and transparent with him so he can fix it. You know, we all have something broken in us because of sin and Jesus paid the penalty for that on the cross. God's like, I got this. I know you can't live the perfect life You can't do everything right. I got this. I'll send my son, do that hard work for you, and I will pay the price for that. And then you come and be honest with me and live a life with me. And Evan could have approached that situation a completely different way, which would have changed the dynamic of of how we interact and relate. He could have come up the stairs and, and said, you know what? Mom parked the car too close to the hoop. I, sh- I can't believe she did that. Or, or, she, or he could have come over and said, you know what, there are these kids from down the street, they came over, they had a hammer, and, and they just knocked it. And then think about that. Excuses, blame shifting, it wasn't my fault. That changes the dynamic of the relationship that I, that I have. Now all of a sudden I have to become like, a detective and a sleuth and figure out, is he telling the truth, what really happened, um, versus what he did do because he understands that we have a a loving relationship and I'm going to take care of it. He's able to come in to my presence and say that, knowing that, you know, maybe there will be a consequence, but, you know, my dad's got this. And to me, that is the framework for where we're going today. Um, Because the enemy basically has two big things that he wants to confuse you about. Who is God 
and who am I? Ken says that all the time. I borrowed that from you, Ken. But who is God and who am I? And if he can confuse that and get you to think that God is some tyrant ready to just step on you, or maybe he's just aloof and he doesn't care what you do and you're just on your own, then he's got you. And if he gets you to think, um, who am I? Well, I'm not that bad. You know, I'm not as bad as that person. Or, you know, you double down on your sin. You know what? This is just who I am. I'm just going to do it. You know, he'll get you to go that way. So it's either not that bad. I don't need to repent or I don't really care. I'm just going to double down on who I am. And today we're going to look at um, what the Bible says about who God is and who we are. Um, You know, we've been discussing the schemes of the enemy and how all of his lies get us to doubt his character, his intentions, and his kindness. So why does the enemy want us to doubt his kindness? Well, it's clear in Romans, it says that it's the kindness of God that brings us and leads us into repentance. It's not uh, finger-waving, pushing around and bullying. It is his kindness that draws us to repent. And what's that do? When we repent, confess faith in Christ, we now get to have eternal life with God forever and it restores relationship with him and others. It's his kindness that draws us to repent. When we confess our sins and intend to change with his help, we express humility, transparency, and honesty in our souls. That's restorative and allows us to be fully known and fully loved. We don't have to hide it. We confess it. We become fully known and fully loved. I like the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. And that's where he wants to bring us. He wants us to be fully known before him and truly loved. How do we do that? We don't hide our sinful nature. We don't pretend it's not there. We don't double down into it. We confess it before him. And the Bible says he is faithful to forgive us and to love us and bring us into relationship. So one of the lies that is common nowadays in our culture that Satan likes to use, it is tricky because it kind of sounds cool. It kind of sounds like a good thing, but like when you look at it, it's, it's not. And he says, the lie is to be your authentic self, live your truth, never apologize. Okay? Be your authentic self. That sounds kind of cool. Like I'm kind of into being a cool dad and soccer and coach. Live your truth, you know, and never apologize. Well, the reason it's, it's not a healthy way to look at it is because before you confess your sins to God and you give him your heart and you say, I'm, I'm sorry, if you're going to live out your authentic self, you, you'll find yourself um, trying to find yourself in everything else but God. You'll try to find yourself in everything else but God. Because we know... Um, from our sin nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve that we naturally don't want to lean into God. There's more of a, I'm kind of concerned. I don't want to be 
going that direction. So I'm going to be my authentic self, find myself in every other group, form, identity, then God. And it leads us away from his heart. Live your truth. That's the second one, which is um, Jesus says that I am the truth. I am the way and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. But currently it's live your truth in the world. That's kind of what they, what they say. Well, that's great, but if, if um, some, that's great if somebody's exactly like Jesus and they're living out their life gracefully, mercifully, constantly helping. Con- but nobody does that. You know, sometimes people, like life can be like an emotional roller coaster sometimes. If you're constantly living your truth, you're like, okay, do I embrace the parts when I'm like super angry and upset or the parts where I'm this? You know, it's, it's kind of everywhere. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Embrace me. And then this one is, is the never apologize. That's sort of what you kind of see in our culture where, you know, you're just going to be you and you're not going to make, and you're not going to say sorry about it. I'm just going to do me and, and that's it. And we know that 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 does not, that, that leads us away from God when you're just doing you, okay? The truth that the Bible leads us into is repent of your sins, believe the good news, embrace your new identity as a child of God who loves you more deeply than you could ever imagine. Repent of your sins, believe the good news, embrace your new identity as a child of God who loves you more deeply than you could ever imagine. And I wanted to hit on this, this topic of repentance because it's not talked about a lot, but in the Bible, it's clear that that's part of the life that God has for us. In Mark 1.15, it says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, this is actually what Jesus, this is right when Jesus was starting his ministry this is the very first kind of thing that he said. The kingdom of God is near. It's happening. It's at hand. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. In Acts, it says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll find out that the gift of the Holy Spirit is crucial to living the Christ-filled life with power, with overcoming, with authority, and that doesn't come unless we repent of our sins, get forgiveness. And then when he gives you the Holy Spirit, he gives you his presence in you, being able to love like him. In Luke 24, 46, 47, it says, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Not some, all. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will again send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. There's this awesome connection between forgiveness for those who repent um, and receiving the Holy Spirit to live in an empowered life to actually live out the gospel in your day to day. I wanted to um, go into Luke chapter 15 because I think this is the best chapter on trying to describe on describing who is God and who am I it sets the table for what is God really like who are we what is going on here it's very grounding 
And I love that. I'm, I'm just going to read it there. Jesus tells three parables, three little stories. One about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. And he tells these so geniusly to kind of describe who God is and who we are. So just get into it. First, he goes into the parable of the lost sheep. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisee and teachers of religion law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now don't get me wrong, the 99 that are righteous and haven't strayed away get props. I mean, they, this, this little parable tells me that um, if you have a friend group, if you, if you know somebody who's wandering and they've, kind of, they've been a Christian, they follow God, they know they've been a part of your group and they've wandered away and they're doing things you know are hurting them, hurting others, and you know what, when they come back and they repent, because maybe you had said something to them, you brought them back, you, you shared something with them, when that happens, the angels rejoice. One person that comes back and says, you know what, I'm sorry, I broke this thing. There, there's like a celebration in heaven. It's, it's crazy. Literally, it says there is rejoicing in heaven. They stop what they're doing and they rejoice. He then goes on and tells the parable of the lost coin. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she would call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. What I love about this parable is that it describes how God is on the pursuit looking for anybody that's going to uh, be returned to him. Think about it. She lights a lamp. She's looking through all the dark crevices of the world, looking through all the little uh, places this could happen, l puts a light on it, sweeps through all the cobwebs and look, looking around, where did, this, where did this go? Boom. God is on the pursuit to find people who are willing to humbly repent, confess their faith in Christ. And he is on the pursuit. And he celebrates. When so, and it says again, with repenting, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The angels are rejoicing. And I'll tell you, there's nothing greater. Then somebody that was lost just is gone and they come back and they say, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. I know a lot of us probably look forward to those moments. 
And then the third parable, I love it because it goes from a sheep to a coin. And now we're going to talk about a human. (laughs) So this is the parable of the lost son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with feast. For this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music, dancing in the the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all the time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, and I actually really like this part, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I love that the father says, You have always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. He's not just completely discarding him like, "Um," I mean, he kind of had a right to be feeling angry (laughs) in a way. It's like this, this son who basically took half your money, squandered it, blew it, lost it, and now you're throwing him a party. It's like natural to kind of feel like, hey, that's not, that's not cool. I never did that. I've been here this whole time. But the dad's like, yeah, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. Okay, that's the truth. Okay, the kid, he was believing something else. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And here's what I find really interesting. This that little sermon ends, that little teaching ends, and you wonder to yourself, did the older son go in and celebrate? 
because not only did the other son have to repent and I mean he, he repented he came back he was embraced the father's like I love you let's have a party I'm so glad you're back well now the older son dad comes out and talks to the older son says will you come in and celebrate with me and I think he's speaking to people that have the decision as well am I going to embrace this um, sort of embrace this way of forgiveness and salvation and repentance am I going to walk in and celebrate this or am I going to be like nah that's not for me and Jesus doesn't let us know what the older brother does but I think he does that on purpose so that each one of us when we hear that story we think what would I do would I go in and celebrate and and thank the Lord that my brother came home or would I kind of sit outside so to me that is a great example of who God is and who we are it's foundational um, so whatever thoughts you've had in your mind about who God is and, and who we are, you can know from the story that God is a loving father. He's just. He, he has to deal with sin. He's not a pushover. That's why we have the cross. Because he's like, all that sin that's committed worldwide every day, I'm going to pour it out on my son. And you know what? He's going to gladly do it. He's going to lay down his life for all of us. So he's not a pushover. He's a just God who deals with sin and he poured it out on Jesus Christ on the cross. And now he says, how can you look at that and say that I don't love you? I've, I'm a father who loves his children and he made it easy. So this is the part that I think is really interesting. Like he did all the hard work. Like all the all the living a perfect life, dying a death that we deserved on the cross, raising from the dead, defeating sin, crushing the enemy, the, the death grip that was on us. He did all the hard work. And he's like, I, I'm just asking you to do one thing. Repent and believe. Like, look inside your heart and say, is there anything in me that has ignored God my whole life? Is there any part in me that doesn't really want anything to do with God because you have a, a strange perception of him? He made it easy. He said, repent and believe. And then he, and then he said, and I'm not just going to leave it that way. I'm going to then give you my Holy Spirit to live inside of you, empowering you to be like Christ over the course of your life. So it's not like, boom, I'm like Superman. I'm, he's like... <laughs> You will be like Christ over the course of your life. Um, the enemy never wants you to repent. He wants it to be a source of shame and fear. However, repentance and the faith in Christ fixes that which is broken. First, our relationship with God, and then relationship with others. As we experience the healing power of the cross in our heart, we are then able to more graciously live with other people, care for other people, be like Christ to other people. Offer grace and mercy. And through repentance and faith, we experience the abundant life of Christ for all eternity. So the enemy loves to tell the lie that God is a tyrant. You can't, you know, just do you. You can't trust him. He wants you to think that or, you know what, I'm not, there's no way I can do enough things to be good. There's no way. I, I sin every day. How could I ever 
be looked at as a Christian. He's like, don't worry, Christ did it for you. Embrace this. Repent. So I want to say, I, I think repent is hard for people because there's sort of like this sense of like, ah, I feel, mm. you know, you, when, whenever, um, like, you know, when you're raising little kids, a lot of times if, if, you know, Zoe says something mean to Jake and you're like, yeah, or does something mean and pushes it in and we're like, Zoe, say sorry. She's like, sorry. <laughs> like, it's not natural to want to like, oh man, I really screwed that up. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? It's sort of like as parents, you actually have to teach them to do that because it doesn't come natural to humans. <laughs> like, no, say you're sorry and hug it out, you know, and then, then eventually there's a hug and there's some melting of, of the anger that goes away. But like that repentance is key to getting into a deeper relationship with God. Um, examining your heart, examining your life. And, and, and it's not something that should be a source of shame, but something that's beautiful and that you should look forward to doing because you know there's a Heavenly Father that wants to put His arm around you and move you forward. So I came up with a cool acrostic to kind of remind me of, of what repentance does for the believer. Um, if you want to pull that up. Pretty, pretty clever, eh? <laughs> but repentance and putting your faith in Christ restores relationships with God and with others. It's the first step in saying, you know what, I fall short, but you know what, Jesus didn't and I'm with him. And then from that, I can walk confidently with my God. I can walk confidently in relationships with others. It brings on eternal life. You step, it says, I was dead and now I'm alive. And I always tell my kids, when you, when you accept Christ, your eternity starts now. Like you're not waiting to die to have eternity. It's happening now. So you will never experience a time in your life when you will actually die again. Because what the, the way the Bible describes it is, once you accept faith in Christ, your eternity starts now. And, and then for this earth, you fall asleep, you wake up in the next. There's not this really scary thing that goes along with that. You receive power from the Holy Spirit. I, t I talk about this in uh, kids' church all the time because, you know, kids often hear things and it sounds like, you know, uh, behave, follow the rules, do all the right things. You know, it's constant like with kids. Like, but here's what I say. I was like, when you have a relationship with God, he will empower you to want to do the right thing. He will change your perspective from constantly looking for ways to do the wrong thing to how can I want to do the things that align with God? And I, I tell the kids this, I'm like, when you submit to the Spirit and you say, God, I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, help me want to do the right things, He will do that. It's like the power source that we need because if we just try to do it on our own apart from the Holy Spirit, it's just tiring. It's exhausting. You're like, we need the Holy Spirit to give us that power to want to, and he'll give it to you. I mean, he promises that. Emancipation from habitual sin. This is something Christians can uh, do on the weekly is, is as you're praying and reflecting on things that God is bringing to light out of the dark crevices of your, of your walk with him, he's bringing things into light and saying, you know what? I think you can stop doing that and I'm gonna help you. Or, you know what, I want you to start doing this, and I'm going to help you. The key is I'm going to help you. 
Again, it's like he, he helps free us from these things that keep us down and ultimately those sins hurt us and our relationships. He gives us a new narrative. Um, I love this. So the new narrative is I used to only want to know me and my legacy and now I want to know Jesus and his legacy for me. You have a new narrative to share with the world. And as people see you walking with Christ and living it out and, and uh, honoring your mom and dad right there <laughs> and, and loving people well, um, it's something that's attractive to the world because we need it. We need that. We need more people that are uh, loving well. And then, you know, that's part of our mission that helps us, you know, this new narrative to know Jesus and then simply tell the world. You know, don't, don't keep it hidden. And again, it's sort of one of those things where you're going to look around, you're going to see people in your life that God's given you influence over or that are interested in, in you. And he wants you to tell the world about Jesus, the cross, life in him, the gospel, um, because it's great. It's, it, it's what changes the world. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. And um, welcome the worship team back up. Right now, communion. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness. God, thank you that when we, when we come to you and confess our sins, um, God, that you are such a good father that you, you hug us. There's rejoicing. The, the, the angels rejoice, Lord. Thank you that you're a loving father who spared no expense to save us. When we look in the eyes of Jesus on the cross with his arms wide open, he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God, we thank you that your love is so deep and so good. God, that we can come boldly to the throne room and talk to you daily. God, thank you for the ability and the gift to repent and then to be transformed and changed. In Jesus' name, amen.